0: Lord, you say it and we want to believe it help us to hear what you say about who we are and who you are that it might change the way we live for we ask it in your precious name amen well good morning Covenant family it's always good to gather with you I do dearly miss you I was telling the worship team here today uh, just how much I uh, just touched I am when I hear their voices when I walk in the building on Sunday morning, and I look forward to uh, one day when we can all get back and hear your voices as well. Well, today's psalm is one that entered my life at the earliest moments of my spiritual faith journey. It is one of the first scripture passages I ever memorized, and it's one that had an interesting role in a uh, vocational counseling session that I had as a young man down in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Now, I, I, I don't have the time to share that story with you today, but I do plan to make time at our Facebook Live uh, moment to together on Wednesday at 1210, this coming Wednesday. Uh, I look forward to joining with you there. And as always, there should be a number on the screen right now. That's our text number. You can simply, uh, as you're going through this, uh, this sermon today and the text of Psalm 139, if you have a question or a comment that you would like to make that maybe I can... Uh, hopefully addressed on Wednesday, please feel free to text it to that number and we'll see what we can do to include that in our Facebook Live time. Also, for parents, a reminder that uh, Renee Miley has put some excellent age-appropriate sermon worksheets for your children, uh, and they're available online. If you missed the QR code at the start of the service today, simply go to Covenant's website, uh, click on Children on the main page, as a Children and then Sunday Classes and then when you see Renee Miley's photograph, just underneath her photograph is the link to the age-appropriate worksheets. So it's children on the main page, uh, Sunday classes, and then just beneath Renee's picture. And by the way, if you come at 1025, and friends, I mean, there's, there's room here uh, for people to come. If you come at 1025 and bring your kids, you'll get a clipboard with the pages right there and a pen for them to use, which is pretty cool. Finally, uh, children, if you're thinking about it, if you're looking for something that you can do during this time, uh, in those worksheets there's there's actually a blank sheet of paper. And I'm wondering if you would like to take some time to draw a picture of how you might take a walk with your mom or your dad, holding their hand and walking down a path together. Because we're going to talk a little bit about that today. I mean, to begin, have you ever thought about the hand? I mean, what can be communicated with a hand? There's a, many things. I mean, a, a clenched fist kind of communicates anger or rebellion, right? Uh, an open, extended hand communicates warmth, invitation, welcome. A hand on the shoulder indicates and communicates gentle guidance. Hand in hand indicates a, a loving relationship. And, and then you go with a hand on the wrist, and maybe you've got two hands on each wrist. And that's, that's security, that's stability, that's strength. The photograph to my right here, or not photograph, the picture to my right was painted by a friend of ours from the Spokane days, Janie Edwards. From a children's perspective, you can see uh, how there it communicates love and strength and guidance and hope. And when you think about how we are the children of the Heavenly Father, we think about how that communicates the same thing to us as well. So as we go through this psalm today, I'd love for us to carry this kind of image with us as we're thinking about God holding our hands, as we hold God's hand, walking along the path of life together. Because when it comes right down to it, we are never alone. and Our psalm will talk about how God is always with us. We're looking today at Psalm 139. It is a psalm of David, and as I go through this, I encourage you to uh, to listen for how David's attitude toward God shifts. Look at where he begins. Look at where he concludes. And then I'm gonna encourage you to um, leave your Bible open or your screen available and on. uh, If you've got the battery to do it, (laughs) leave it on. Uh, Because I'm gonna be going through this Psalm just basically from verse one all the way through to 24. And I think it'll help you to refer back to it again and again. Kids, I wanna encourage you as well. If you've got that Bible, open up to Psalm 139. It's about in the middle of the Bible. Psalm of David. Let's read this thing together. Oh Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You're familiar with all of my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O oh Lord. You hem me in behind and before You've laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, is too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me, and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious concerning me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. Oh, if only you would slay the wicked, O God! Away from me, you bloodthirsty men! They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord, and abhor those who rise up against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. So I want to begin with a question what is your first instinct when you know that your sin is no longer a secret when I was in third grade I had figured out a way to cheat on the Friday spelling quiz and one Friday as I was doing my little thing getting my perfect score on the quiz I looked up and I noticed that my teacher mrs. Legault was looking at me I knew knew the jig was up, man, I knew I'd been made, and all I wanted to do was hide. When they ate the forbidden fruit and heard God coming in the garden in the cool of the day, Adam and Eve just wanted to hide. Because as human beings, whenever we know that the secret thing that we don't want anyone to know has been known by someone else, our natural instinct is to run and hide from the person who now knows. Just for fun, let's, uh, let's turn my little third grade experience into an episode from the Twilight Zone, all right? So, little Robbie Eyman looks up and he knows that his deceit has now been discovered. And he wants to run and hide. He's waiting for Mrs. Legault to announce it to the entire class, but she remains silent. He's waiting for her to stop him on the way out the door, but she doesn't. And he's out, and he's free, and he's going to recess, and he feels like he's, he's had this weight lifted off his shoulders. And he goes up to bat at the baseball game during recess, and he looks, and his teacher is the pitcher. After school, he runs home to find some privacy in his bedroom, and his teacher is there reading a book. He tries to enjoy dinner with his family, and his teacher is sitting off to the side. Every time he turns a corner, every time he goes someplace new, his teacher is sitting there looking at him with that knowing gaze. Now, if this episode of The Twilight Zone actually happened, my response to The Ubiquitous Teacher, by the way, that might be the title of the episode, you know, The Ubiquitous Teacher, do-do-do-do-do-do-do, it's always there. My, my, My response to her would depend on the motive I pin on her and the character I assign to her. Because if I think that her motive is to punish me and I assign to her the character of a stern judge who just wants to make me pay, then that kind of scenario would force me to act in some pretty desperate ways. But what happens if I believe that Mrs. Legault is on my side? What happens if I truly embrace the thought that she's not trying to make my life miserable, but that what she is going to do and what she does is there to bless my life in some way? And by the way, that's exactly what she did. The way she handled that situation was so gracious. It did put my life on a far better academic path at that time. You see, the teacher loves the student and wants what is best for him or her. So if Robbie can just let go of the false notions that he has about this teacher and embrace who she actually is, then her ubiquitous presence is transformed from a deep disturbance to a very deep comfort. Ah, look, there she is again. There she is again, I get to see her again. She's here another time. Psalm 139 makes it clear that God's presence and knowledge are an inescapable fact. God knows everything about you. He always knows where you are, and you can never change that truth. Now, this news can be disturbing to some, and it's comforting to others. And every person who hears this news has to figure out a response to it in some way. Some people respond by denying that God exists. Ah, it's just a myth. He's not actually there, so it doesn't matter. Others respond by changing his character. He's not really holy. He kind of winks at sin. But those who work their way through that discomfort, those who wrestle with what this means, find that the discomfort leads to true comfort. Let's just walk with David and see his journey through this psalm, shall we? In verses 1 through 6, David uses polar opposites to show the complete scope of God's domain. God knows all there is to know about David and us. Whether we are sitting or standing, whether we are going or coming, God knows where we are. But that's not the end of it, because he also knows what we're thinking. He knows what we're thinking so much that he knows what we're thinking before we even think it. He knows what we're going to say before we even say it. What that means is that God is laughing even before Rob Stephen has formed the joke in his mind. And he is groaning even before David Henderson has figured out the next pun. Really, huh? That's what it says. God is familiar with all of our ways. All of them. The psalmist's first response to being known in this kind of depth of intimacy is understandably rather negative. Verse 5, you hem me in behind and before You've laid your hand upon me. This this use of hand is a very negative use. It has to do with an oppressive hand, a heavy hand, a weighty hand. David is saying, you have boxed me in, and you have laid a thick blanket over me, so much so it's suffocating, and I cannot begin to breathe. He says that this knowledge is is wonderful, it's big, it's huge, and it's too lofty to attain. He doesn't know what to do with it. In other words, he's saying, I I can't figure out what I'm going to do with this. How do I think about this? How do I process this? He says, my circuits are beginning to overheat and fry. I don't know how to respond. And so the very next verse, I think it's verse 7, just shows the response which I think we'd expect. He wants to run. Where can I go from your your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? The word presence is also face. David is, is acting like the prophet Jonah, isn't he? He wants to run away from God. He wants out. He wants a little place just for himself again. And with this, the polar opposites return. From the highest heavens to the deepest place where the dead dwell. From the furthest point of the east where the dawn rises to the furthest point of the west on the other side of the sea because, of course, Israel was located on the shores of the Mediterranean Sea. So for them, the west was on the other side of the sea. Even there, he says, I find your full Presence. God's present everywhere, fully, in all time and in all space. Now, he doesn't fill time and space in the way that a gas might fill time and space, dispersing out so that he spreads out and part of him is here and part of him is there. No, No, God is fully present in every point in time and in every place of the universe. Full presence. Is this too lofty to attain, this knowledge, for you? Are your circuits just beginning to heat up a little bit? How does one respond to this kind of God? Well, that's a key question for many, especially in our culture. Because we live in a culture that celebrates self-determination, don't we? I have to live the life that I need to live. We, we hear that a lot. We say, I need to live the way that's true to me, and if I cannot do so, then my life lacks authenticity. My life lacks meaning. I want to be free. Now, King David was king. I mean, he had most freedom of anybody else in his country. But he still had obligations pressed upon his life. He had obligations from society, from his family. He had religious obligations. So think about this. I mean, if David, in his community world, in his his life, in his culture, if it was hard for him to reckon with God's influence over him, how much more hard is it for us in our world of self-determination and individualism? See, those who believe that God is a barrier to their dreams will only be able to experience him as a Twilight Zone nightmare. Our response to this all-knowing, ever-present God begins with a picture of who God is and how he views us. And friends, I mean, it's true, some folks, when they're wrestling through who this God is, sometimes they have to run for a season, and maybe that season is long before they come to find out the truth and begin to believe who God says he is and who they are. Okay, so let's go back to David's journey in this psalm for a little bit. So in verse 5, David uses God's hand in a negative way. But then in verse 10, he uses it in a positive way. He says, no matter what I do or think, you know it completely. No matter where I go, you're fully there. Even though you know all my secrets, all my failures, all my flaws, your hand will lead me. Your right hand will hold me fast. The strength of your hand will hold me fast. In every place and time, you guide me so I won't get lost And you hold me so I won't fall down. (laughs) David's awareness of who God is is shifting here, isn't it? You say, wait a minute. You're not out to make my life miserable. You're not out to make me feel bad about every little thing that I've done that's wrong. You're not going to let go of me, are you, Lord? Because you are for me. You're not against me. He's awakening to a new perspective on God's motive and God's character. And and so he begins to talk about darkness now. And darkness, of course, the psalmist used that as a a way to talk about suffering and difficulty and danger that people get into. So so he's saying, when the darkness comes, it gets thicker in our lives, what do we normally think of? Well, the first question that comes to mind is, where is God in this darkness, right? Because when we're in that difficulty, we tend to think that God is hidden from us and that maybe... uh, we are hidden from God that he can't find us. But you know, if God's hand is always in our hand, if he, if he holds us with his strong hand, let's put, the, let's put God's hand on our wrist. I don't care how dark it gets. I don't care how thick the storm is. Nothing's going to pull us from his hand. He knows exactly where we are. And above all that, not only does he know where we are, darkness isn't dark to him. He can see right through it. It's like the light of day to the Lord. This leads every reader to ask a question, why? Why would God do this? Why why would God know all the junk we're trying to hide and still hold on to us and still treat us with this kind of compassion? No, verses 13 through 18. You created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb from the creation of our soul to the creation of our body and everything in between every single part of us. God made us, and not only so, but he also ordains uh, all of our days before we were even born. The psalmist says, I'm precious to God. You and I are precious to God because he made us and he knows us. And I'll go so far as he calls us by name, watching over our days. So God creates, sustains, and ordains your body and your soul. His love for you is what sustains you for every moment of every day. He determines when you enter the world. He determines when you and I are going to exit the world. So from conception to last breath, it is God's power and his presence that overshadow every moment of our lives. Now, I believe here, in beginning in verse 13, through the end of the psalm, David is covering the full arc of a person's life, okay? He starts in the womb, right, at conception. He starts in the womb, comes through birth, and then talks about the days of our lives and talks about how precious we are to God. He thinks about you so much, you can't even count the number of times he thinks about you, and his thoughts about you are precious, they're dear, they're positive. And then he concludes this section of a person's life with the strangest little phrase, when I awake, I am still with you. Now, every indication is that this is the climax of the psalm. And you look at that and go, what? Why is that there? I mean, when I wake up in the morning, God is, I'm still with him? I mean, how does that mean anything? Well, I think that this passage, and I think it's verse 18 where we are, um, is, uh, is not just reiterating verse 2, uh, where I wake up and God is there. I think the understanding can be found in another one of David's psalms, Psalm 17. In Psalm 17, 5, David is talking about his death. And he says, when I awake, I will be satisfied with seeing your likeness. When I awake from death, I am still with you. You've got me. See, David has just experienced a breakthrough. He realizes that the God whose hand won't let go of him through any danger in life will not let go of him even at death because nothing can separate him from the love of God. It radically changes his response to him. Rather than be threatened by this God he's comforted, rather than seeing God as robbing him of his freedom, he sees God as restoring to him his true freedom. You see, if God guides and supports you by his hand, then darkness becomes light. And death, (laughs) that becomes resurrection. David is just so filled with with joy and excitement at this moment that he, he begins to utter some words that just don't make sense to our New Testament brains In 19 through 22, David expresses his love for God by describing his hatred toward those who oppose God. So here we go with the polar opposites, right? We've seen the polar opposites showing up in comparison all the way through this thing. Here's another example of polar opposites. By using the polar opposite of love and applying it on God's enemies, those who oppose God, David is expressing, in the way that I hate these kinds of people, that shows the extent of my love for you. And while this kind of language made sense to David and people in his day, does not make sense to us. Because David and his day, that was before the cross of Christ. We come after the cross of Christ. You see, while he was on the cross, Jesus felt God's abandonment so that we could always know his presence. While on the cross, Jesus felt God's distance so that we could always know he's near. Romans 5.8 in the message says this, I love this. God put his love on the line for us by offering his son in sacrificial death while we were of no use whatever to him. While we were yet sinners of no use to God, Christ died for us. Even after we rebelled, even after we ran, even after we tried to hide, God acted with compassion toward us. This is why Jesus taught that we reflect the true character of God the most when we love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. See, King David did not have a better way of expressing his love for God. He didn't have different language, he didn't have different responses. But we do because of the cross of Christ. So Psalm 139 assures us that God's presence is an inescapable fact, it is a terrible threat, and it's a life-changing peace. It's an inescapable fact. From God's presence, you can't run and you can't hide. It is a terrible threat, because you want to have freedom, right? But if you try to pursue your own freedom, you find there's no hand to hold on to, and everybody wants that hand to hold on to. So it's a terrible threat, and it's also a life-changing peace when you realize that nothing can separate you from the love of God. I like the way Tim Keller puts it. He says, when it comes to Jesus, there is no refuge from him, there is only refuge in him. There is no refuge from him, there's only refuge in him. And with this, we come to the the poem's conclusion. You know, for years I used to wonder why King David would conclude his psalm by Asking God to search something He already well knew, right? I, I mean, the, the Psalm starts with "You've searched the complaint," "You've searched me and You've known me," and then it concludes with appears to be an invitation to do the very same thing again. I, I wrestled with this for a while, but but then I, I began to look at the very last verse: "See if there is any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting." You see, I, I don't think David is is inviting God to search David and find something new that God did not know about yet because David had been able to hide it from God. I think David is inviting God to search him and then to teach David what David does not yet know about himself. Rather than run from God so that David can begin to pursue his own way, David is now running to God so that he can more faithfully pursue God's way. See, as David holds the Father's hand, he's allowing the Father to guide him down the Father's chosen path. When David was trying to hide his sin, he would go out to play baseball and he'd look up and he'd see that God was the pitcher. He tried to find privacy in his own bedroom and he'd tried to enjoy a meal with his family, and God was there. Every time he turned a corner, every time he tried to find a new way to go, a new place to hide, God was fully present, looking at him with that knowing gaze. At first, this was oppressive to him, stifling, threatening. But then he chose to sit with it and allow its truth to sink down into the deepest places of his soul. Rather than run from it, David began to see God's true motive to help. He began to recognize God's true character of love. David's attitude began to shift. Rather than feel God's heavy hand upon him, he began to recognize God's strength and supportive hand under him, guiding him, protecting him. Rather than seeing God as a barrier to the life that he wanted to live, he began to recognize God as a guide to the life he needed to live. So what about you? How do you view God? Do you see him as he has revealed himself to be? Or do you carry little notions about God that that get in the way of your response, that keep you from receiving the comfort that he has for you? Even though he knows you completely, he still loves you fully. You're precious to him. He made you. He holds you. He sustains you even now. So his inescapable presence can become an inescapable joy, an inescapable peace, if we are willing to trust what he says about himself and trust what he says about us. Would you please pray with me? Lord, from the smallest atom to the largest galaxy, you made it all, and you called it good. And as your crowning achievement, you went ahead, and you made us, and you gave us your image. And somehow, we are so important to you that you think about us in positive ways and you think about us a lot. You know us completely and you love us fully. We are known and we are also loved. There is so much freedom and hope here, Lord. You know us, you know who we are, and you know who you are making us to be. So Lord, help us to feel your hand in ours as we live out our days and walk your path in this world. In Christ's name.